There we go. <laughs> oh, mm, I got some good questions down here. So this morning is an Ask the Pastor, right? So we are doing a year of uh, through theology, right? Uh, I know I wasn't here last week. I assume uh, Keith Lloyd was back again for another wonderful week. Uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I hear it was quite good last week, especially. Um, and then next week, we start in with the rabbis, right? They're going to start talking about the theology of creation. And then um, I'll come back with Trinity and theodicy and a few other things. But I, before we even jump into writing down questions, and I have a few already. You have those green sheets in front of you there. I want you to just... Um, I want you to see where we have been so far and remind you of that and see if we have any questions that come to mind that haven't been answered. Maybe you've been, you know, on the way home, you've been thinking, well, what, was, what did that all mean? And I'm not quite sure about this or the other. And so as you've been thinking about it, you never got to ask that one question those four weeks ago or something like that. The day is the day to ask those questions. So I want to remind you where we have been and then um, I'd like to start there, but we don't have to just limit ourselves to that. We'll probably cover some other topics during our class, of course, and maybe answer your questions later. But if you have a burning question you've always wanted to ask, uh, today's the day to do it, right? So the first few weeks we started with um, T.C. Ham. He came in and he talked about the uh, task of theology as well as in uh, uh, seeking, I'll talk on about that phrase, faith-seeking understanding. And if you recall, he talked about how he knew his wife, right? I know all these facts about my wife, and I could write them all down for you. I love that image. I could write everything I know about my wife down and pass it to you, and you could read it in a book, and you still would not know my wife, Right? And that's, that's a pretty convicting thing because when we look at Scripture, we think, oh, if you read this cover to cover, you know God. That's not quite, um, that's not quite right. There has to be a relational element to, uh, to faith and to Christianity in order for it to be fully alive. Right? Um, and so he talked all about the, the task of theology. And then the following few weeks, I came in and we talked about Revelation talked about how little our revelation, recall? Not the book of, but um, how do we know what we know? We talked about looking around the world, and if we just had to look around the world, how would we know that there was God? Well, we could say, wow, the sun comes up every day, there seems to be order, there seems to be, com there's complexity in these systems. Someone had to do this, this couldn't have just happened by chance, but we wouldn't have a well-defined theology, right? So then we talked about special revelation, and we have in the scriptures, and how that informs our, our thinking and belief. Then, the last few weeks, you've been talking about the authority of scripture. And I loved Keith's, um, uh, especially his first week, he talked all about authority, and what does it mean to have authority? And if someone says, oh, you gotta believe me, you're, you, you, that's probably a time in which you're gonna say, I don't know if I believe you. When other people start to attest to the truth, that's when you start to believe, right? Um, and, he, and, and Keith stepped into a difficult conversation about how a lot of people say, well, Scripture is true because it says it's true. Mm, well, again, where does the authority lie? And the authority really lies in the fact that we live out our, our faith through the story of the church, 
from the Hebrew Bible all the way through the New Testament, through the Church of the Ages, um, we know there is authority here in these scriptures. So those are the topics I want us to start thinking about. Again, that is the task of theology. What's the point? Why are we doing all that we're doing through this whole year? So that was the first topic. And then Revelation. And then the authority of Scripture. So I want to allow you a few minutes. You should have, everyone should have a green sheet here. Green, green, yellow, yellow, green. We'll meet in the middle. How's that? So um, you should have one of these. I can lend you a pen. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, there's more there. I handed you a few. That's no, okay. So I want to allow you a few minutes to just um, ponder, ponder these topics. And if you say, I know everything there is to know about all those topics, maybe you don't have a question. And that's okay. Um, do we need some more back here? Oh, you already got your there we go. So, task of theology, revelation, authority of scripture, and feel free to go beyond that, right? That's just kind of where we've been. The rest of the year, we're talking about everything else. Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, Trinity, atonement, atonement, resurrection, all of those things. So, um, I'll, give you about, I'll give you about three, four minutes here, and... Um, the recorder. I studied voice in college. That was my primary instrument. But still coming. Still coming. Okay. Oh, oh my. Ooh. Okay. Wow. This is... Love it. Uh, let me see if I can put these in an order that makes a little sense. Ooh. That's a good question. Who gave that one? Yep. Did I lend you my pen, Bertie? My. That wasn't mine, though. I think I think I lent. I actually lent her. So. Okay. Uh, denominations. Thank you. Oh. Oh, look at. Throw that one away and keep this one. Uh, do you want this one back? <laughs> okay. Wow. You guys asked some great questions. I'm going to start... Do you want to? Sure. You're going to open a prayers? Prayers open? Stuff together. I'll just, I'll just throw in a little conversation with you. Um, I don't know how you all felt, and I do, I'm just looking for some reactions. But 
when Dr. Lloyd spoke last week about the authority of the scriptures, I think it's pretty common for all of us to, to want to say, um, uh, you know, the scriptures and the scriptures only. And, and I think, I think we, I, we were all, I was anyways, kind of waiting for the explanation of, of authority. And I thought he did a wonderful job, but I thought it was also somewhat, I don't want to say disheartening, but concerning that we don't have a lot of historical fact or uh, definite doc- documentation of the origin of our, of our scriptures and the fact that hi- history didn't record it. And he gave us excellent reasons why, right? Jesus was a present. We didn't record their lives. Um, he was a Pharisee. Um, you know, he went into all the reasons why. But I, on the same hand, was delighted when, when we said, when we concluded that basically our authority is accepting the scriptures in faith. And I just wanted to know what you all felt like. Did, did, you come to, did you leave the same way that I left? I mean, I was joyous when I left, and yet I still, I still want that, that media authority that you can pound people with, right? I was pretty surprised that he never quoted R.C. Sproul, because yeah. he's been kind of a mentor for me. I went to college with his daughter, his wife, and uh, so I've been a fan of his ever since. Well, didn't we have, um, either in Sunday school or in church, scripture alone, faith alone, uh, grace alone, there were three things, scripture, grace, and and so I think you have to use, it was, we did all, I hear Michael saying five. There's five. Yeah, so that's what I, I was thinking about, too, that we have all those. Anybody else have any reaction to the, the conclusion? Yeah. I think that historically, the Christianity has overplayed its hands in its need for certainty. And as a result, we haven't taken a look at the evidence or the lack of evidence that's made for this. And it results in a lot of fundamentalism, true for all religions. But uh, the quest for certainty is not uh, really there. Is it, the, the, is it really there? The certainty isn't really there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, some of us have maybe studied Lee Strobel's stuff, The Case for Faith and The Case for Christ. And he, he has a lot of pretty much overwhelming evidence. You can't prove it, but... It's like anything else. The evidence can be so plain that it's like, how can you doubt? <laughs> Is there any religion that has actual proof of anything? Everybody has, everybody, whatever, has a Am I adding this to the list here? Mm-hmm. I got them warmed up. Well, thanks. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> yeah, you got them warmed up. Look at that. Um, Next time, when I go on the road, Dan, you'll, you'll start me off. Am I, yeah. Um, is it okay that I sit? We can just all be, it's kind of one big round table. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. I, I think I've talked about that a few times in this class. Um, and not just the Southern Baptist Church, but a Southern Baptist Church. I want to, I want to make that clear because I think um, there's good and bad in the, every denomination, Southern Baptist Church included. 
um, but we were a particular expression of the Southern Baptist Church, and uh, we believed that you had to be certain, right? So if ever there was a question, well, let me look that up. Okay, well, here is the answer. There's never any nuance that, that you couldn't... Um, and almost asking the question was seen as an offense, right? You, can't, you, you, you really want to know that? Well, you just have to accept that in faith, right? This is how God is. This is how God acts. This is what we all believe. You can't think those types of things. Uh, and in my journey of faith, that's one of the, one of the reasons, uh, one of the primary reasons that I felt comfortable to make the step from American Baptist churches where I was ordained to ministry to the PCUSA was because the Presbyterians historically have entertained the questions and said, don't just say, oh, you can't ask that. That's never acceptable, right? That's why I love these ask the pastors because it's always a time of pondering and wondering together. And we have to recognize we don't have all the answers. And if we did have all the answers, that's what, that's what concerns me. That's what frightens me. Because to, to Leanne's point, we don't have proof on any, no, no faith, no religion has proof of every single thing. And if they did, wouldn't we all believe it? Um, and so there's this, I talked about this, I think, when I was speaking on revel, the revelation of God, that um, when we believe um, that things can be proven, that the faith should be um, that I, so, you know, say I have a, a non-believer. I'm going to pick on Judy again. Um, right, there we go. So let's say Judy's a non-believer, and I want to prove to her that my thinking is correct. Um, I start from a place of certainty, right? Uh, and I say, you have to believe all of these things just like I do, right? That's how I was raised. I remember being in youth group, and we would take, uh, we would do whole months on apologetics, which... I've never heard a Presbyterian talk about apologetics. Do we know what apologetics means? Have we? Okay. Uh, not in my time, I don't think. Probably before me. Um, and I think there, there, is, there is value in apologetics, knowing you know, when to, how to answer specific questions in those kinds of situations. But the way that we were the, introduced to apologetics, it was as if here we're empowering you. You are a soldier of the Lord, and we need to get you prepared for battle to go talk to that dirty atheist and make them a believer, right? And any question they could answer, you have to know, have the... Any question they could ask, you have to have the answer right away. And um, that's never sat well with me because where I've come to in faith is it's okay that I, if I don't have the answers, right? Um, not everything is spelled out in Scripture. Not everything is spelled out through our tradition. And we're still figuring it out together. And I think there's a, there's a real beauty in that. And when, it, when, when the fundamentals of any religion, right, Islamic or Christian funda fundamentalists say, here are the exact answers you have to follow every single thing, or else you're not in the club, that's when I start to get concerned. So... Um, and we've already talked, Roger, about the, you know, Peter N's work of the, the sin of certainty. And when we are truly certain of something, it stops becoming faith. Um, it becomes, um, yeah, it, it, it becomes, we become so sure of ourselves that we are confident in our own beliefs, not in the beliefs of our 
a community of faith. And that's, that's another difference we could tease out, that um, so often, right, we talk about all those, all those ways that, um, it's not a self-fulfilling, like um, confirmation bias, right? Well, if I believe these things already, and then I come to read the scriptures, I come into my community of faith, and oh, look at that. That's something that looks like what I believe, and so I think it means this, right? And we have to be prepared to, um, that, that theology is going to push against our, what we already believe, right? Scripture should, we shouldn't read Scripture cover to cover and not be challenged in any way. Scripture and theology and the church are meant to challenge us, right? The old saying is that um, pastors are meant to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. So if you are um, going to church and you are just being comforted day after day and you're, you're fine, you're like, I'm good, I know everything I need to know, and everything I believe is right and everything they believe is wrong, you may want to reconsider where you are. Okay. Do we have any questions? It's not chemistry 101, right? It's not a, faith is not science, right? You can, you can talk about science and faith. I absolutely think that's important to do, but you can't use a scientific method to explain why you believe what you believe. Um, so that's a great segue right into the first question. I'm not sure who asked it now because I have all these questions here. If someone asked you why you believe, um, what would you say? If someone asked you why you believe, what would you say? So I'm going to turn the tables on to you. What would you say? <laughs> I know it. Priesthood of all believers, baby. That's <laughs> um, why would you? What would you say? If someone asked you, you're on the street corner. Someone after church and someone says, you're a Christian? Why do you believe? Why do you believe in, in all of that? Why do you believe in the Bible? What would you say? Experience. experience. Okay. What was, your, what was the first experience? How did you come to the faith? That could be for anybody. That's okay. How many of us grew up in the church? How many of us had parents who were in the church or grandparents? Okay. Andy, no? My parents didn't go to church. They okay. sent me. Oh, isn't that interesting? So a room full of people who grew up in the church or had families of faith, yeah? And I, I say that I grew up believing, but I can remember being 17 or 18 years old and all of a sudden feeling. And so I think there, that's two different things. Oh, yeah. I, all of a sudden, I, I was so aware of God's presence in yeah. people and around me, and it was an internal thing before it was something that I mentally knew and wanted to follow and thought I was, but it wasn't until I felt it that I knew that my life was different. Mm. And that's, that's the right age, right? 17, 18 when you start to think critically about faith. As a child, right, I wrestle with this now, having children, um, you know, I don't think that they believe. I think that they know that we believe. 
and they are good at, you know, they know the stories, they can look at a picture, Bible, Bible filled with pictures and know who's who, but I don't know that they quite critically can think through it and actually put, you know, it's unnecessary at that point. No, absolutely. But there is, there is a transition point in your teen years, you know, somewhere maybe in early 20s for different people, where your parents' faith is no longer enough, right? Um, and you have to say, and as all of you have in this room, my parents' faith is not my faith. My faith is my faith. And you have all, by just being here this morning, you have said, this is my faith. I choose to be here. Whose who's mom or dad made you be here this morning? Did anybody force you to church? No? Okay. It's memory of my mom and dad. Okay. <laughs> you can still hear him every morning waking you up? Yeah. Uh, Bertie? Well, I was really just going to kind of talk like, like Rosie. I was raised in the church, but and even went through my confirmation here at Christ Church, but I can't, I can't really say that I was a believer because I don't even remember my confirmation. I mean, I remember going, I remember when we were done and, you know, all of that, but I, I don't remember having any experience that I really felt like I had a faith. So it was probably in our mid-20s that I actually had an experience, and I've had, you know, several since. But so if someone just asked me that, I, I guess I would have to say I believe because of things that have happened in my life that the only way I could explain them would be to say I, I, I have faith that these things happened because or right. something to that effect. No, hmm. I did not. Oh. That's a great question. That's a good counter-argument. Mm. Yeah. God has no grandchildren. Oh. Oh. I've never heard that. I love that. Did we all hear that? God has no grandchildren. It's a direct relationship, not just passed on. It's not, yeah, that's, that's great. I remember driving down the blacktop road in my 75 Chevy Caprice, and I'm going like, what, what's the purpose of all of this? I mean, I remember this. And there has to be something more than just living, struggling, being happy, enjoying life, not enjoying it, and then dying yeah. from one thing. something because then it gave your life some meaning purpose purpose okay yeah i think i've shared this here and if i haven't i now i will um i attended a, a funeral about eight or nine months ago now and um best funeral sermon i've ever had i've never preached a funeral sermon that good it was it knocked me off my feet 
And um, one of the phrases that will forever stick with me is this beautiful phrase of no matter, you know, I think it was riffing on Romans 8 of, you know, nothing can separate us from God's love, but also the idea that we are forever connected to the story of God's love. And the image, the particular image and phrase that the uh, pastor gave is that we are umbilically connected to the story of Scripture. And I love that image, you know, having now three kids and within the last five years having cut three umbilical cords, um, I, know, I know what that means, right? That is a life-giving source of something I do not choose, but this is how I receive life. You don't have to chew it. You don't have to go seek and find it. It is just something you receive and you are given. And for me, that's, that's kind of where I'm coming to understand faith, is that it's not something that you choose as much as something that chooses you, and that it gives you life whether you seek it or not. It is life-giving, and it helps you make sense of life, right? Um, yeah. 400 ahead of me? Okay. I don't think I'm ever going to beat you. <laughs> Unless I change the line of work, I'm not going to cut anymore. Seeing the Sea of Galilee, yeah. being on that water, walking where Jesus walked. I mean, yeah. that just made it so real mm. to walk through the streets of Jerusalem, to see the conflict that existed way back then and even now. The evidence of the Romans oh, the, yeah. and all those uh, buildings, but also the stories, the people. That just really yeah. made it so real mm. that how can you refute the Gospels when you see that? How can you refute what happened? So in that experience, coming back, someone said earlier about experience. That's the first thing. That experience for you was life-giving. Absolutely. And... Absolutely. Um, and enlarged your faith, propelled your faith, whatever words we want to use here, but um, your faith was enriched through that experience. And like Rosie, I felt, I started to feel when I was 17 or 18, I was singing in a Christian singing group, and they were asking these same questions way back then. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was a little bitty one in Western Pennsylvania, nothing that ever cut a record or anything. But <laughs> it, it started to mold my faith back then, but then, as you raise your children and you see what goes on mission-wise here in the church as well as overseas through the eyes of Christ church parishioners that are overseas. But then it was in Israel that I really felt the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. That was really awesome. Hmm. So if you have a chance to go, go. Yeah, about a year and a half. That's a good plug. About a year and a half from now, February of 2021, you too can have that experience of going to Israel. So. I always um, thought that the words of Jesus are um, sort of like a table turning or a paradigm shift to people mm. during that time. And what he says to us is not what we would naturally do, you know. But there's so much, when you hear it, it's so truthful, you know, that I feel there's truth there. Whether I could say he was here on this earth in this place and... But that convicts me. But the other thing is what um, Dr. Lloyd was talking about is how everything you read written by people that were there is different. 
And that makes me feel like it's not propaganda that was copied over and over and everybody knew the answer and you were trained in the answer, which is how things like that get spread. So that's convicting to me. Mm. It's confusing. You know, you think, well, why did they leave that out or whatever? It's eyewitness test. Well, secondhand eyewitness right. testimony. But then when you think about that, when you have heard a story from your grandmother, you know it's true, you know, even though you weren't there. Right. So, anyway. But connecting revelation to authority of Scripture in that very um, topic, right? When I was teaching in Revelation, um, talking about special revelation in particular, uh, I lifted up that, that God entrusted humans, right? Revelation is mediated through other people, right? We, we don't just get this direct vision from God. Each one of us don't get a direct vision. We trust other people because God has, through the Spirit, inspired and spoken to them, and we trust the witness of the church and the, and the witness of the Scriptures to say this is the truth, right? Um, I guess I better actually answer this question, huh? Uh, because we got a lot more here. Yeah. So if someone asks you why you believe, um, I would say I could do no other. Um, I could do no other. I couldn't not believe. And of course, I've had moments of doubt. Um, I've had those experiences driving down the car when the radio's out, or you know, you're on the way to Wakanda and the radio cuts out. You know, you got no signal. You don't know what to think about, so you just start thinking, mind wandering. Sure, I've wondered, you know, what if this is all made up? What if this is, you know, you get to the end of life and you die and then that's it? I've had those thoughts, right? Haven't we all? Um, and I come back to, um, there's that beautiful, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. When people start leaving Jesus, it's in the Gospel of John, somewhere between 9 and 15, I'd say, um, where... Uh, People start leaving because it seems like things are getting a little rocky. This is heading somewhere. I don't know if I want to follow this Jesus. And, and Jesus then turns to the apostles and says, are, are you going to leave too? And I think it's Peter who says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. And that's where I keep coming back to. Whenever I doubt, why do I believe? Because these words have life. And these words make, have, give sense to my life. And without them, I wouldn't be me. Um, from the core of my being, I know God has called me to be me. And God has empowered me to be me. And uh, without God, I wouldn't be here. That's why I believe. Um, now, I'm not subscribing to an entire doctrine in that. I'm just saying I believe God is with me and God has called me to be here and to be me. So that's why I believe. Um, we've got a lot here. We've kind of talked more about, somebody has said more on authority of Scripture. Um, we could do a whole other class on authority of Scripture. Was there a particular, I don't know who wrote this. Um, do you want to say anything in particular? Ah, okay. Okay. So, let's... I say listen to Keith. There's listen three to, great podcasts. Yeah, there's some great podcasts on that. Um, 
I do, I, I wasn't here last week, but my understanding is it felt, some, some people felt a little uneasy after last week, feeling like it wasn't totally confirmed. Um, the last three weeks. Yeah. And my understanding is um, where I land is, yes, it's a little nebulous. We don't exactly know how our canon came to be. A lot of people say, oh, it was at that Council of Nicaea. That's where we have firmly established our canon. That's not right. That's not what happened in Nicaea. Um, and our canon came about in a slightly strange way. And we don't have all the details. But what we have to believe is that the Spirit was at work through the worship of the church. And that's a really key element that I think gets lost in conversations on authority of Scripture, is that it's not just a bunch of old white guys sitting in a room and saying, hmm, I like this book, let's put this in. It's not that. It's that the church is finding that these words have life and are life-giving to the whole community, and they say, we can't, we can't not include these because these give us life. And... Um, I talked about this, it would have been last fall, that there were some churches that um, in this time, like the second, third, fourth, well, more the third and fourth centuries, there was one um, community of faith that was using the Gospel of Peter, which we don't have the whole Gospel of Peter. We, th we might have some of it, we don't really know. Um, but they found that these words were life-giving. And the canon was coming, and they were saying, and the, the church was saying, here, this is what you have to use. And they said, but what about the Gospel of Peter? We love this. We read this all the time. So there was a bit of tension because they used it in their, their worship life, their liturgical life. They read it. They sang it. They prayed it. Um, and ultimately, that, that did disappear. That was phased out. But the broad church, the big church, came to the consensus through life and worship and community and praying and singing together, this is what we believe. This is what we think holds authority. Um, obviously, other, other denominations, right, the Catholics, the Orthodox, the Ethiopian church, um, have slightly different canons. And uh, I think there's absolutely something to be learned from them. And we should read those other books, and we should know what's in them. Um, but we say these are most life-giving. And for Catholics, they may say those are life-giving. Good, more power to you. Um, and we should know them, but they may not. Uh, as Protestants, we say those are not going to give us as much life. Um, but we'd, I, I wouldn't say let's think they're not authoritative, right? Because we don't want to undermine our brothers and sisters who do say those are authoritative. We just say, it's not for me. Okay. We can talk more about that if we want at another point. Um, the question, the next question is, what was the authority to writing our creeds? The Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, the rest, and I have the whole book of confessions here. Um, in case nobody asks any questions, I was going to just vamp on the, the book of confessions. Um, what was the, I'm not sure if I understand the question. What was the authority to writing our creeds? Do, do whoever wrote this want to, do you want to out yourself and ask how do we get the creeds? Is that kind of the question? Um, yeah, I taught on, I think, I, I think it was two years now, that I, two years ago that I taught on this. Um, first, how do we get the creeds and then the authority of the creeds? So if you recall in the early church, we didn't, the earliest church, we didn't have the creeds at all. Um, we had a primal creed. The very first creed is Jesus is Lord. 
right? You say Jesus is Lord, we're good. We're on the same page. But then it got a little more complex because people said, well, when I say Jesus is Lord, I really mean that Jesus is a creature and cre- was, you know, was born of the Virgin Mary. Sure, that's fine. But he's not God. And they say, whoa, 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 that's, that's not okay with me. I, don't believe, I, I believe Jesus is God. And there's something special about Jesus, and Jesus is, has existed from all time, time immemorial. And there's this, um, the creeds function, especially the earliest creeds, to draw a line in the sand and say, that's not right. This has to be right. Um, and, yeah, so that's what the earliest church did. Is there authority in them? Not quite the same authority as Scripture, right? Um, it's a different kind of authority, I would say. Because what we do, you know, the Book of Confessions is our um, kind of the constitution of our church. The Book of Confessions and the Book of Order. And it, it, give, it kind of surrounds the Scripture and upholds the Scripture um, to say, after reading this Bible cover to cover, here are the quintessential things that we believe. But what I find so beautiful about it is that it testifies to the faith of Christians throughout the ages, right? Because after 100 uh, AD, we have 1900 years where we have no biblical writings. Well, what do we have? What, what can we learn from our brothers and sisters of the faith throughout all those ages? We can learn their faith and um, that's in the book of confessions, right? So they kind of summarizes um, and co- uh, codifies what they believe, and we stand on their shoulders to say this is also what we believe. Does that make sense? <laughs> We've talked about this before. Yeah, why is the canon closed and all that? I think God still sends prophets. I just don't think that their writings are ever going to be added to Scripture. I think there are still people that call out injustices and say, you know, um, what the empire is doing is not right. And we need to remember that we serve the kingdom of God first and not the kingdoms of this world. I still think there are prophets. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. How does one reconcile the differences in people's revelation of God? Mm. Um, I could read this two different ways. I could read this as people have people of differing faiths understand that they have revelations of God. Is that where we were going here? You don't have to out yourself. Both. Oh, here we go. Okay. Thank you. We can have our own revelations of God, but my revelation of God compared to your revelation of God, even reading the scriptures the same, you know, growing up in the same church, yeah. may have differing opinions about what those scriptures actually mean. But if you come to it with the, well, I just believe this, and another person, even in your own church, says, I just believe this, how do you reconcile those two things? Um, I understand, like, in the community, like, that's kind of what we're doing here is going through, like, um, what, does, what does this scripture mean? What does that scripture mean? And how does, does your special revelation, though, come into play when, um, when those, those things can be very, very different? 
So let, let's just clarify terms. So special revelation particularly refers to the scriptures, just generally, mm -hmm. right? It's just talking about the Bible. That's special revelation. And then from that, we have our interpretations, right? So I, I think you're, I, I, what I'm hearing you ask is, how is it that people can have different interpretations or not? No, I think that's, <laughs> I think everyone can have their own interpretations. What my concern or my question is, um, if, if we believe that God is revealed to us individually, hmm. so if God speaks to us, like we, we kind of went around the room and everyone sure. gave an example of how they right. came to, to, came to believe, um, how do we reconcile people's differences? Well, I believe God does come to each one of us, or perhaps God doesn't come to each one of us. If we think about the, you know, the global population, is God revealing himself to each and every individual out there? And if so, are they seeing the same God? Are we on the wagon wheel? Yeah. You know, there's, oh, a, whole, right. there's a whole lot of revelation going on hmm. within each of us from God specifically saying, here I am, believe this or such, but your revelation may look very, very different than mine. Maybe I'm not asking a question. Maybe I'm no, just no, giving no. an opinion. No, 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 no. I think, um, and tell me if I'm going the wrong direction here, but um, I think that there is, uh, we, can, we can each have experiences of God in our own lives, but that never, um, or it shouldn't, um, push the envelope such that it goes beyond what Scripture says is orthodox and true, right? So if you have uh, a dream last night that tells you that, you know, God is coming again in the form of a pink elephant tomorrow, and you're like, I just, guys, I got this special, I got this special dream and this revelation of God, and this is going to happen. It's like, I don't know about that. That's not quite what Scripture, you know, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as an elephant. He's coming back as, you know, in the flesh, right? That's what we believe. So I think there's, within the bounds of the special revelation of Scripture that we already have, you can absolutely, I, I would say you can have experiences of God in your own life, your own personal experiences, but those should never rise to the level of Scripture, and by that I mean that it should never contradict or become newly authoritative for the church. So if, you know, I got a call, I, I had an experience of God uh, in 2000 and uh, it was early, late 2010. I had an experience of God, that God came to me. I had this image on my mind that I have no idea where it came from, and I fully believe that was God giving me an image that ultimately led me to go to seminary, to be right here today. That was not for the whole church. That didn't change theology. That was just something for me. Um, and so it didn't rise to that level. But um, am I kind of heading the right direction here? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're fruit as an apple versus a turnip. So my experience, the the oh. inspiration is the same, but what I do with it mm. is in my DNA, which is also experiential in our human experience as well. I know God has created us. 
Yeah. What? How God has created us and where God has planted right. us. Right. Right. Because the soil yeah. is different, can mm -hmm. affect our growth and mm -hmm. all those sorts of things. What a great image. Yeah. Love that. Um, I don't know if it's exactly the question you're asking, but I will. I do want to. Yeah, I do want to touch on interpretation, though, because I think, um, and this will actually lead into the next question. One of the difficulties, as we look around the broader Big C Church today, we all recognize that there are different beliefs, right? Um, the Baptists say, "Oh, you can't. You know, babies can't be baptized." And we're like, "Yeah, they can," and we have particular reasons why. Saying God has chosen this baby before. He, he or she could know God. We are all chosen before, t before time to be part of God's covenant community. Go be with God and bless the communion. We'll see you soon. Um, and thanks. Um, we know that there are different interpretations, but how, and how do we... Um, we have to have grace with each other, understanding that there are different interpretations, there are different historical movements. Um, in the modern day, especially in the West, especially in America, people love to say, this is what I believe and this is right. And what I love so much about being firmly rooted in a denomination and the Presbyterian Church in particular is that there's this sense of checks and balances. That if I, if I you know, have a dream tonight that there's going to be a... Jesus is coming back in the form of an elephant tomorrow and I preach that next Sunday, uh, you, I would better hope that the session would call me and be like, what is going on? And that Max Skolnick would be at my door saying, we need to talk, right? There's this sense of checks and balances. And if I go too far outside of the norm, that the church is going to call me back. You will also call me back and say, what was that about? Um, and so the next question is, do non-denominational churches have firm theology I th they think they do. I think they do. They're fairly firm in their theology. But I think um, the danger of being in a non-denominational church is that there's no checks and balances. Um, there's also very little pastoral support, right? Because if you're non-denominational, you have, like, we have the board of pensions, right, that takes care of all of our medical benefits and all those sorts of things, that makes sure we're, we're adequately paid, that makes sure we have vacation time, Non-denominational churches don't have those concerns, um, and excuse me, those support the support systems. They also don't have presbytery, right? Um, which I find to be a life-giving um, model of the way to do church and be pastors together. Um, so, is God still working and moving in non-denominational churches? Absolutely. Is that where some people are planted, and is that some, where some people will grow, and they may not grow here? Absolutely. Um, but uh, I could not see myself in a non-denominational church um, because of those concerns. There's no one making sure the pastor is um, preaching the right thing. Who was it? I just, I just uh, was talking to Don Montgomery this morning, and he was telling me he overheard a, or heard about a pastor preaching, um, using the Bible to preach that vegetarianism was wrong. And that you couldn't be a vegetarian. And it was the weirdest thing. And you know his congregation probably believes that. And, and oh, this comes down from the pastor on high. This must be right. Nobody's going to call him out on it. Nobody has the, the, the pastoral authority um, in that kind of a congregation. Okay. 
oh, why do bad things happen to good people? We're going to get there in about six weeks. I am talking about theodicy, which is the que- that very question. Why do bad things happen? Um, the, the quick answer, how much time do I have? Oh, good, five minutes. Hmm, probably too many. Too, well, the very quick answer is what Matthew says, um, what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, right? The rain comes to the good and the bad. The sun shines on the good and the bad equally, right? So good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to bad, right? In whichever direction you want to go. Um, being a good person, being a Christ follower does not mean that we are spared, um, that we are any more protected necessarily um, than non-Christians or bad people. Um, but we'll talk more about that in depth in a few weeks, so I'll leave that one. Ooh, why did we accept some Gospels and not others? So this, I, I talked about the Gospel of Peter a few moments ago. We do have other Gospels. We have the Gospel of Thomas, there's the Gospel of Mary, um, there's other infancy Gospels, like the um, infancy Gospel of James, also called the Proto-Evangelium of James. Um, the Proto-Evangelium, the first... Yeah, it's Latin for first or uh, uh, yeah, first gospel of James. Um, but the the again, we chose our gospels and our our scriptures emerged out of the life of the church. Ultimately, that P, the gospel of Peter was denied by the broader church, um, and each one of our gospels has a particular arc from the baptism of Jesus through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and. Without that arc, we don't have a gospel, right? So the gospel of Thomas is not a gospel, really, um, because it's just a collection of sayings of Jesus. There's no sense of story. It doesn't fit in with the same, in this genre of gospel. Um, We could talk more about that another day. But um, why denominations, why can't all Christians get along? I wish I knew. Um, (laughs) Does God forgive, ooh, this is, a, this is a tough one. Does God forgive suicide victims? Hmm. Um, victims, suicide victims, um, those who die by suicide. I think God in his love, mercy, grace, and wisdom um, is love at the core, right? Um, Right? That's what it says in First John. God is love. And no matter our circumstance, no matter what we do, I think God still remains love for all of us, no matter what we do. Um, I'm not condoning the act of suicide in itself, um, but I think that God understands. And I think that um, those who die by suicide are afflicted in very profound ways, mentally, spiritually sick. And um, Jesus said, I came to save the the lost, the sick. Um, So those people who die by suicide are the very ones Christ came to save and continues to love. And absolutely, I think that uh, God can forgive and does forgive those who die by suicide. Oh, we have one minute. I'm almost done with the questions here. I 
cannot read this handwriting. We I'm gonna, I can't read the first one, but I can read the second one. As God's people made in his image, do we have a given nature that instructs us on how to live out his will? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, I think the first thing we need to um, focus in on there is in his image. And that's something that um, we can, we need to affirm better as a church, broadly, that we are made in God's image and not just the people sitting around this table, not just the people who we're going to go worship with here in a few minutes, um, not just the people in the church, but everyone, the, um, the, the Muslim um, who is progressive, fundamentalist, terrorist, member of ISIS, the um, Chinese, the Japanese, anyone you can imagine, anyone, good or bad, um, whatever color of skin they are, whatever age they are, tall, short, fat, skinny, doesn't matter. Everyone is made in the image of God, whether you like them or not. That's really hard. That's really hard to affirm that. Um, and I think that's, that is how it once, that, that is kind of the gateway through which we should live our lives. To see every person as made in God's image because when we do that, that is how we live out God's will. I really think that's true. Yes, we are imbued with the image of our creator. And yes, that can, that can mean that there are certain details of how we live out our life closer to God's will. But I really think the truth is that when we see everyone as, as in God's image, that's when we are truly living out of God's will, li- loving the Lord, loving uh, in the ways that God has called us to love and to be. Um, so may that, may that be our prayer this day, that we may live into God's will, that when we turn on the news, we see people we may not like, we may not know, um, that we see them as not grandchildren, but the children of God. Every one of us, every one of them, there is no them. We are all us. They are all us. So in that unity of the image of God, um, let us pray together. Gracious Lord, we thank you for this precious time where we can bring the hard questions to ponder the ways that your spirit is active and moving and um, in our lives. We pray that we may uh, never tune out the call of your spirit, that we may always feel comfortable entertaining the question, living these hard questions as we, with faith, seek to understand who you are, how you've made us, and how you call us to live in this world. Be with us, Almighty God, and give us eyes to see all of your children, all of our fellow brothers and sisters, through your eyes, as made in your image. We give this day all that we are and say over to you, Almighty God and Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you all. So next week are the rabbis. Oh.